Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you today. Um, If it's your first time with us, hey, thanks for coming out. I'm Jim Del Campo. I'm the senior pastor here. And um, before we're in the series on Galatians, uh, studying that book. We don't go verse by verse on Sunday mornings. We kind of take topics out of it. Tuesday is our verse by verse study. We're in Joshua. But um, before I get into this uh, chapter four of Galatians, uh, I just want to share a little bit with you what I shared in first service. Uh, how many uh, would like me to share a bit about uh, the Middle East, Israel, stuff like that? And, uh, Okay, yeah, okay, I get it. Okay, you put your hands down now. Um, but, uh, and what I'm going to share with you, there may be a few of you that disagree. I'm fine with you disagreeing with me. Let's just not be like, like the crazy society that has to be angry with each other all the time. Adults can agree to disagree and still be friends, amen? At least adults can, and that's called tolerance. That used to be the definite of tolerance. I know it's changed now in America. But let me talk about Israel and what's going on there. Uh, because if you're a new to the faith or you're just wondering some things, uh, let me just share with you um, from the get-go. I, there's nobody in this room that wants to hear about you know, babies or women being killed and the collateral damage. We, we all agree right there, right? Um, but on a, on a wider scale, and uh, you may have heard these things, you may have heard people saying this as they're you know, protesting some of the streets of the city, some colleges have protests, some professors have even said you get extra credit if you go protest against Israel in this rally in the college. It's kind of crazy. But as a Christian who knows the Bible, who understands the Bible, you know, you know, the big, the thing is the Palestinians believe that Israel is their land, that, that they're occupying Palestinian land. Um, that's just not true. It's not true from a Bible perspective as a Christian with this biblical worldview. We know that God first told Abraham about 4,000 years ago in Genesis 12 that his descendants will be like the sand of the seashore and all the nations will be blessed through him. Um, We also know that uh, God makes his covenant in Genesis 15. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And so um, God said that you have this land and in that covenant statement there was a prophetic statement that they would, Abraham would go there but then his descendants would be slaves four generations or 400 years in in Egypt, and we know that happened in the Exodus, etc., in history, and there's evidence for all these things. Um, but um, so this land was given to Israel, and then they go into slavery, and then they, they come back out and they come back in, and Joshua leads them in to the promised land again, and it's their land. It's always been their land. Now, just as a side note, um, if you've ever looked on a map and look at Israel, and maybe you have recently, and you see the sliver that's the Gaza Strip where the Palestinians are. But Israel is a very small, small nation, uh, geography-wise. In fact, the narrowest part of it, I believe, is about 70 miles wide from east to west. So it's very little. But if you read what God said, what belonged to Israel, you find out that Israel's land should be much bigger. I mean, so much more land but they only have a little bit. And the reason for that is the same reason you and I sometimes, um, 
you know, we don't get what we want or we lose things because we make bad decisions like reject God on things. Amen to that one? Well, they've gone through their rejections of God. Of course, they rejected the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so they've lost a lot of the land that is actually, God says, is their land. The Palestinians believe that's their land, but God says, no, it's not Palestinian land. This is Israeli land. In fact, even where the Palestinians are, that's Israeli land. Um, but there's beef over that. Now, from a spiritual dimension, you have to understand that Israel has always been persecuted. In fact, really, the main, the top people that are persecuted and uh, uh, against in America are, are the Jews. And all you have to do is look at the stats on that. Um, but you look through history, we know that like what Hitler did uh, to the Jews, and we know early on, after the time of Jesus, the sieges of Jerusalem, we know all those things. And, and so we know there's this kind of like this hatred toward uh, Israel, but it's a spiritual thing, guys. It's a spiritual thing. It's demonically motivated. The Palestinians, and I've, you hear people say this, they would like to eradicate all the Jews off the face of the earth. Have you heard stuff like that? Because that's what they want to do. The Palestinians also believe that Jerusalem is their capital, and they want that capital back. The problem is God gave that capital to David and Israel about 1000 B.C., way before any of this happened, but they're not going to acknowledge things like that. So there's a battle here. And um, also, uh, I won't get to finish this. I had to cut my message short because I went long, shocker, right, in first service. And, uh, but just so you know that the big beef right now uh, that's happened, it's always happened, is that um, is, the, is Arab basically versus Jew. Well, that all happened in the time of Abraham and Sarah when God told Abraham and Sarah they were past the years of being able to have a child. They couldn't have kids. He says, I'm going to give you a promised child. And that was Isaac, but they got impatient. And so um, Sarah decides, maybe you're gonna, God meant that we're going to do this through my maidservant, Hagar. And so they, um, they take Hagar and just Abraham going to Hagar and he impregnates her. And here comes a child named Ishmael. He's not the promised child. But this child, and then comes a promised child later, Isaac, who the promise will come to, the Messiah, but he persecutes the Isaac. Now, what you, some of you may not know is that Ishmael, and this happened 4,000 years ago, Ishmael now, the, where Abraham and Sarah decided to go on their own and not God's will, he becomes the father of all the Arab nations. This is where all the Arab nations came from. Ishmael, I'm sorry, Isaac, the promised child, is the Jewish line where Jesus will come through. And so now you see today, this skirmish has been going on for centuries, and you still see it today. The problem is still there. Now, Jeremiah said that Israel, Jerusalem, would become a burdensome stone for all the nations. And it is. That's always going to be the hot spot. It's not going to go away, guys. It's never going to go away. It's always going to be a battle right there in that place. But it is Israeli land. God said it was, and, and that's just it. Now, why should we be on the side of God in that respect Jesus said that salvation is from the Jews anybody remember that in John 4 it's coming to the Jews Jesus told Abraham the first Hebrew the first Israelite that all Hebrew the first that all the nations will be blessed through you that's where the blessing comes from right there Amos said that God says I put Israel in the land and I leave them. I'm not going to pluck them out they're staying there this is their land these are all God. and there's more more to this than that also Whenever um, the rapture of the church happens, whether in our lifetime or next generation, um, God is going to work through the Jews again. The Jews are vital because God's going to work once we're gone, once the Christians are gone off earth, God's going to now start saving Jewish people. 
And there's a thing called, a group called the 144,000 in Revelation, male, virgin, Jews, and they're going to evangelize the earth during that time. So the Israelites become very, very vital to the, um, to the future of earth because they'll be the evangelists. Now, this war here, is it like end times? No, there's always going to be wars, rumors of wars. There are two major battles that will take place around in the Israeli area and they are going to come. They one day, whether they're in my lifetime here, whoever. But the first one, we find that in Ezekiel chapter 35. And in Ezekiel 35, you find, and you say, well, I don't believe it's going to happen. Well, go back and read all the other prophecies in the Bible, and you think, like, how did God get all these things right, right? How did these guys get this? And it's so specific how, God, how these prophets got it specifically right, so don't doubt these things. But the first one's Ezekiel 35, where nations to the south, nations to the east, and go to the south, east, and north of Israel, here's the Mediterranean, these are all Arabian nations for the most part. They're going to, and plus Gog in the land of Magog, ancient Scythians, or we would know them as Russians. These are going to all invade Israel somewhere. The best guess is, and there's different guesses, and I think it's somewhere right before, right during, or right after the rapture of the church. But Israel is going to be surrounded by, you know, who knows, 100 million Muslims attacking them. Israel's going to win the battle because God's on Israel's side. In fact, I, I, my personal opinion is, based on Zechariah, is that um, it's going to be nuclear. It's going to be a nuclear battle because Israel has already made the decision that Masada will never happen again. They're not going to be taken again. So they're going to use whatever means they're going to use to defend their country. And so that, all those nations will be driven back. That's the first major battle that will happen. But there's another one that's going to happen in that area. And that's when the Antichrist comes on the scene in the great seven-year tribulation after church folk are gone. And that is... The Antichrist, now all the nations, God will draw them out again. God, all the nations of the, will gather there in the valley of Armageddon. Have you ever heard of Armageddon? They'll gather there, and this is where the second coming of Christ, where Jesus comes back to planet Earth in the physical and sets up his kingdom here on Earth. But he will, he will slay the armies of the Antichrist there in the valley of Armageddon. The blood will be for, about up to the horse's bridle. We guess four feet deep. And if you've ever been to Israel, you know that's one big valley, okay? And four feet deep, and then Jesus comes and sets everything straight. Um, but those are the two battles that are coming. So that's kind of a nutshell. I can't take an hour and a half to give you more, but that's a nutshell of why we stand with Israel. They are God's chosen people. God's going to work through them again, and, uh, and, and so, et cetera, et cetera. But I will give you one more warning. That's right. Um, just know that our media in due time probably will turn against Israel. We know that, right? It's just a matter of time. In the beginning, they're for Israel. But what's going to happen, and this is how the script plays out again and again, uh, if, in case you don't understand this. The Palestinian, the Hamas, they will use their own people as human shields. You know that, right? They don't care. They don't care. And so once Israel now has to defend itself, start to go in and bomb, Hamas is now going to show, and we don't like innocent women and children dying, but they're going to show, look at who the people Israel are killing. Our our, uh, and I'll say it this way, our demonic uh, media, and we're pretty much, if you ever studied Hitler, understand we are living in Hitler days in the last five years in America when it comes to media. Just go watch the script. They're playing the same script. It's over. Just, I, I just dare you. Just do that. 
Um, but uh, they're going to show all these images and turn against Israel, that Israel's a bunch of killers and villains, forgetting what the Hamas just did to Israel. Because they're going to turn against Israel. And it always happens that way. Because why? It's a spiritual thing. Satan hates Israel because the promised Messiah came to them and because God is going to evangelize the world again through Israel in the great seven-year tribulation. So with that said, does that make a little bit of sense? Yeah, 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 okay. I can't go any further on that one, okay? It's not an end time series right now. But let me go ahead and pray for Israel, if you let me. Let's pray. God, um, <clears throat> we don't want to see any children, any innocent people, any women die. We don't want to see any of these things. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants that. So I first, I pray for protection for all the innocents, all the innocent people. Please, God, cover them, keep them. I pray this skirmish is over quick. I pray, God, I know you're on the, on the hand of Israel, on the side of Israel. I pray you give them wisdom as they go door to door looking for the Hamas. And that innocent people are, are discerned of, that they are innocent and they're not harmed. But God, we just pray, Lord, because we know things are heating up in this world. There are hot spots all over the world. Jesus, you said in the last days there would be no way out situations. And we're seeing a lot of no way out situations. Nobody has the answers to these things. There's not a human on the planet. The Antichrist will come one day and he will make it sound like he knows what he's doing for about three and a half years and then it's all going to change. And so, God, we as Christians, we understand our role is to evangelize the planet. This is what we're here for. And we thank you for that responsibility. But, God, once again, as you said in the Old Testament, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray for that, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen and amen. So we're good? Yeah, okay, good. Today I'm going to talk to you about, um, in chapter 4 of Galatians, a message I, I called Mr. Right. And um, I, if I've ever spoken on Galatians 4 before, which I have, I never looked at it from this perspective. I was on vacation four weeks ago and I was studying it over and I thought, oh, Mr. Right, I like that title. And it just popped in my head. And I'll tell you why in a second. But I want to open up because here's what we're doing. Um, uh, we're di Paul in Galatians chapter, Galatians, it's a region, not a city. Paul is defending, and we've got to keep it in the box of salvation only. And I, he's defending salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's it. You're saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, in Christ alone. That's salvation. You don't add to it. Can't work for it. Now, after you're saved, outside the box, now you want to do good deeds for God, Right? Because you got a new DNA inside of you. you got a God DNA. And that's what changes. That's what changed me in a moment of time. So, that's the defense Paul is making. So today I want to talk to you about Jesus, Mr. Right. And I want to use an illustration that I heard over 30 years ago. I don't think I've ever used it because it's a long illustration. And to try to memorize it, not easy, but I spent all weekend memorizing it for you guys, okay? So here it goes. Ladies, let me talk to you. Ladies only. <clears throat> you meet and you marry what you call Mr. Perfect. 
Why are you laughing? You're married to Mr. Perfect. You wake up in the morning. Mr. Perfect, you look at him, not a hair out of place. First thing in the morning, still in bed. Mr. Perfect, his pajamas are still like pressed, nice. Not a wrinkle. You look at yours and they're all over the place. The sheets that he lays on, they're perfect. They look like they've been pressed. He's perfect. Before he gets up, he leans over to you and he gives you a perfect peck on the cheek. And you smell, first thing in the morning, his minty, perfect, fresh breath. And you think, oh my gosh, this is Mr. Perfect. He gets up and he puts on his perfectly pressed clothes. And he puts on his belt around his perfect 30-inch waistline. Yeah, elbow your buddy right now next to him. He goes to the kitchen and he eats, because he's Mr. Perfect, he eats peaches and cottage cheese for breakfast. He, after he's done, he takes his plate and his fork, rinses them off, puts them in the dishwasher and presses start. He goes back to the bedroom and gives you one last perfect peck on the, sheet, on the cheek before he leaves. And when he does that, the room fills with the fragrance of his minty fresh breath again. And it just, oh, it's so good. And you think, you lie the thing and I hit the jackpot. I am married to Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect drives to work. As he drives to work, he does not go a mile over the speed limit. He does not go a mile under the speed limit. He stays right with the law, right with the law, what the sign says. He gets to work, and he does his job. At the end of the day, his desk is perfect. Everything in place. He doesn't leave at 4.59. He leaves at 5 o'clock, because that's what the boss said. And he does everything perfect. He doesn't break any laws whatsoever. He drives home. He doesn't drive a mile over and he doesn't drive a mile under the speed limit. He drives right at the speed limit because he's perfect. He gets home. You ladies who are married to him, you have prepared a magnificent seven course meal like you do in your regular life. <laughs> I guess you don't, I mean. <laughs> no, I just make him a bean burrito, that's all. I, he comes to the door. And you're so happy to see Mr. Perfect. And Mr. Perfect walks in and he looks at you and he notices you have a few hairs out of place. And he kind of looks at you funny. And he walks a little further. And Mr. Perfect is six feet four. Oh. Oh, I, I first service did the same. They're an older crowd. They go, oh. No, they didn't do that. <laughs> Take that off the couch. Bad Jim. Ba bad, right? Bad, but funny, right? Okay. He's 6'4", Mr. Perfect. And so he could see the top of the refrigerator. And he sees dust up there. And he, and he looks, what's this about? And then you have him sit down. And you, you bring the first course of the seven-course meal to Mr. Perfect. It's salad. He looks at it. Kind of looks funny because a couple leaves of lettuce have brown edges. It's wilting. And he goes, what's going on here? And you are now noticing his disapproval with all these different things, and you're getting a little nervous with Mr. Perfect. And then you spot it. You see his glass that he's going to drink out of his V8. He's Mr. Perfect, guys. And you see a water spot on the glass, and he sees it. And he looks at it, and he looks at you, and he goes, what's going on here? And the evening 
goes from bad to worse. And he finds out. He notices every flaw everywhere where you can't get it just right, where it's not perfect for Mr. Perfect. It goes like this day after day, week after week, month after month. And after so many months, you finally are going out of your mind because Mr. Perfect is driving you crazy because you can't get it perfect. So you make a decision, ladies. I'm going to divorce Mr. Perfect. So you go to court Judge, I want to divorce Mr. Perfect. And he says, on what grounds? On the grounds that he's perfect. And the judge says, you can't divorce someone on the grounds that they're perfect. Throws the case out the window. And you walk away. What do I do? I can't divorce him. But then you think to yourself, I know what I'll do. I'll kill him. Wow. <laughs> I'm glad you went like that afterwards, too. Because it allowed me to catch you, Okay. Don't worry, because in first service when I did that, somebody in this section here goes, kill him! <laughs> you know, we are in church, right? Yeah, kill him! <laughs> but yes, that's what she decides, okay? I can't divorce him, and I've watched ID Channel many times. I've seen wives kill their husbands. That's what I'm going to do. And so you prepare a meal, and you get a big glass of V8, and you put poison in the V8, and you give him the glass. He downs the whole thing. He loves it so much. He goes, can I have another glass? It doesn't even affect him. And you go, maybe it's going to take more. You go to the kitchen. V8. Pour more poison in the V8. He downs it again. Nothing. Doesn't even affect him. And why? Because his perfect kidneys filter out the poison. <laughs> you can't divorce him. You can't kill him. You don't know what to do. Mr. Perfect's driving you crazy. So you go outside, ladies, and you're crying. What do I do? There's no way out. And it starts to rain, and it's cold, and you get a little bit of a cough, and the cough turns into the flu. And then it starts to, you get pneumonia, it starts filling your lungs up. You end up in the hospital, and you realize, I'm dying. But then you realize yourself, that is the only way out of being married to Mr. Perfect. I can't die. He can't be divorced. He can't die. I have to die. And so you die to Mr. Perfect so that you can be released and marry Mr. Right in heaven, Jesus Christ. Now, amen? That's it. I, all weekend I memorized that, and that's how I get a... Wow, way to, way to encourage me, okay? I can't wait to see you at home, huh? Mr. Perfect is the law. The laws of God are perfect. None of us can keep them. We break them every time. Some of you broke them driving down Park Ridge or 2nd Street when you went a little bit over the speed limit. We break the laws. Mr. Perfect, I can't live up to it. And so I need to die to Mr. Perfect, to the law, so I can be free to marry Jesus and be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, because he's the right guy that came to save me. Does that make sense? I must die to those laws. Sidebar, it doesn't mean that I don't try to obey those laws. It means that I can't keep them in a sense that I could save myself. I could never do that. So I must die to that, and I must live to Christ in his way. In Galatians, we find that there are 
people, Jewish uh, Judaizers, they're trying to attach and add law. You must obey the laws in order to be saved. No, you could never obey Mr. Perfect's laws. You could never do that. So Paul is now fighting. Paul is now battling them and saying, no, it's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And once you understand that as a follower of Christ, you are set free, my friend. You are set free and you will never doubt your salvation. You will never let Satan play with your head saying you're not really a Christian because you'll know that you know that you know that you are saved by grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. There is no other way. There's nothing I can do to save myself except to put my faith in Christ. Amen to that one? Mary, Mr. Wright. So today I want to look at Mr. Wright, Jesus Christ. We're in Galatians 4, and we're going to look at four things about Mr. Wright. The first one is this. Four things we find that Paul is saying. Mr. Wright, Jesus, he came at the right time. The first reason why Jesus is Mr. Wright, he came at the right time. Now, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 of Galatians, and it says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. Notice God set the date for Jesus to come. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elementary things of the world. But when the fullness of time, say fullness of time. Say fullness of time. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, Jesus came in the fullness of time. Scholars, teachers will tell you a good way to understand that is that Jesus came at the right time. Now, I think about right time. Jesus came a couple thousand years ago. And so my thinking is, if I was Jesus, which I'm not, I think I would have come right after Adam sinned. Any amens? That would have made more sense to me. And by the way, it was Adam who sinned, not his wife. He was thoroughly deceived. It says, Adam, see, by one man sinned into the world, not by one couple, couple, one man. And so I would have thought then, and if not then, then why not come after Cain kills Abel, right? Let's fix a family. But no. Or I would have thought maybe I should, I would have come right before the flood of Noah, the deluge. I thought that'd be a good time to come. Right there, let's, let's get it right. But he doesn't come at that time either. And then I thought further and further about when Jesus Christ came. And I thought, a couple thousand years ago, you know, if it was me, I would have waited a couple more thousand years. I'd like to come when, like, when they have invented pepperoni pizza. Anybody? <laughs> or like when they have like baby back ribs. Anybody like baby back ribs? I kind of like stuff like that. Or wild cherry Pepsi. Anybody on the wild cherry Pepsi bandwagon here? You're saved, saved, saved. Okay. <laughs> and then I thought, well, if I'm Jesus, I would have waited also till the day and age of nice hotels with beds, showers, remotes, and flat screens, right? Because if I'm going to be an itinerant preacher traveling around, and by the way, I'd wait till they invented cars, and so I could travel around in a car, preach, get in, go to the next stop, go to the hotel, kick back, relax with the TV. I, I would have picked that time, right? But no, Jesus came about 2,000 years ago. Now, why would Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, on the date set by the Father, why would that be the right time? 
Well, here's why. Because many teachers, scholars say this. My Bible teacher 37 years ago told me this, and I, I've never forgot it. And it's the same thing they're all saying. It's the right time when Jesus came because the Roman Empire is in power. There's something called the Pax Romana, or Roman peace. So there's peace around the Mediterranean and the Roman Empire. They created roads, a road system, and they governed those roads where there was peace. You could travel pretty peacefully, the Romans did. Now think about that. They have Roman roads all through the Mediterranean world. Does that not make it a lot easier now for a guy by the name of Paul to come along and walk those roads and take the gospel all over the Mediterranean? Any amens? It makes perfect sense. Okay, but not only that, they also have language. Under the Greek empire, Alexander the Great, Hellenization comes in, everybody speaks Greek because that's the way they were cultured. So now you have a one common language everybody speaks within the Roman Empire and now language is important, right? To share the gospel. Now everybody understands. Now I can share in the language everybody knows so now I can transmit the gospel so that makes more sense too. But it goes deeper than that. In the Roman Empire at the time, people were getting very disillusioned and frustrated with their false idol gods there was an emptiness there there was no satisfaction from these false idols so now here comes Jesus Christ in the picture who he says to the Samaritan woman that he who drinks of this water shall thirst again but he who drinks from the water that I will give him will never thirst there'll be an inner satisfaction once you walk with Christ and have him in your life anybody know what I'm talking about there so now you have an answer to there but then the Romans also introduced the pater the father figure in the home as a very very important figure in the home unlike some people in America now think the father's not needed the father is definitely needed in the family you need that guy in the family and by the way because it's when it says through one man sent into the world Adam Adam didn't do his job he didn't do his job that's why he was blamed for it you there's headship in the New Testament that and somebody please don't say oh you're saying men and women are not equal did I, did I say that no, when Adam sees Eve, the first thing he says, whoa. You should have gone, yeah, you know. But, you, but he says, at last. And he, sees, and he goes, and he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That's equality, you're equals. But there's headship as you read the scriptures. And that's why Adam has to take responsibility over that one. And Eve is not blamed, she was fully deceived. And men in the family... You need men for many reasons, but men are also headship. You need to lead your family right. You need to be a strong person and grow in the word of God. You don't have to know it like I know it or some of the pastors know it or like your neighbor knows it like the back of his hand. You just got to start knowing it so you can lead the family right. You got to grow in these things for the rest of your life. Now, so the pater in the Roman Empire, the father becomes big. Jesus he changes or adds now the name of Father God. He calls him, name of Yahweh God, he calls him Father. So now it fits in the bill in the Roman Empire. So Jesus comes at the right time because these things are fitting in everywhere. That's the first thing. The second thing is Jesus is the right person. Now, how is he the right person? Galatians 4, verse 4. I want you all to read that with me if you would. One, two, three. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law now born of a woman God sends him born of a woman so there's a prophetic resume that must be fulfilled he's got to fit the prophetic bill to be the Messiah 
It says he's born of a woman, sent from God. Well, let me give you two verses, and there are many more, but let me give you two to show what the Old Testament says. Let's back up now 6,000 years from where we are right now. Genesis 3.15, right after Adam sins. Now watch this. God's speaking, and he says, and I will put enmity, this division, between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. That's Jesus to come, the Messiah. This is the first mention of the Messiah. He'll bruise you on the head. Jesus struck a crushing blow to the head of the serpent, of Satan, on the cross. And you, the serpent, Satan, oh, back up. You took it from me too quick there. And you shall bruise him on the hill. And crucified victims have massive bruising on their hill. And so that's the best Satan could do is bruise Jesus on the hill. But this is the first mention of the Messiah to come. They will be born of a woman, the seed of a woman. We know that is Mary. Isaiah 7, 14, watch this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child. That's Mary, correct? And, and by the way, for those of you new to church, she did not stay a virgin according to some, you know, denomination. No, sorry, New Testament, you can read in the Bible, Gospels, she had other kids. After she has Jesus, she marries Joseph, they have more kids. And a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name, say it, Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So he's the God man. And he's born of a woman. So now we see that he's the right person. He fits the prophetic bill. He comes at the right time. He's the right person. And by the way, in case you don't know, do you know that uh, uh, conservatively, the, the Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies conservatively. Some scholars put it at 400 prophecies he fulfilled. Can I just give you one? And I'll give you a couple. And there are many. How, how, does, how does Jesus, Micah prophesied about five, seven hundred years earlier, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. How does Jesus, before he's ever born, how can he fix it that he is going to be born in Bethlehem? How does he pull that one off, right? When the prophecy is like five to seven hundred years earlier. How does that happen? And there are so many prophecies fulfilled to the T. But let me give you one that's interesting. Jesus dies of crucifixion, Correct? Correct. Okay, good. Here, right here. He gets crucified right here. Where does crucifixion come from? Let's back up 500 years. The Persians invent crucifixion about 519 BC. Now, the Romans took it, perfected it, and Jesus is crucified by these Romans. But back up 500 years, crucifixion is invented here at 519 BC. But let's back up further. Let's go 1000 BC at the time of David, the king of which we know archaeological uh, finds have found that now we find their statements that the house of David, David really did exist. Uh, secular archaeologists try to say he never existed. Yes, he did exist. He lives 1,000 B.C. David will write in Psalm 22. If you've never read Psalm 22, it's a play-by-play, blow-by-blow description of the crucifixion of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In fact, some of the exact words that Jesus will use are in that psalm. David is writing right here about crucifixion. Question, was crucifixion invented yet? The answer is no. It will be 500 more years before crucifixion is invented. And then Jesus will die on a cross 500 years after that. How in the world does David get that right? How in the world does David know about crucifixion if it's never been invented yet? Because under the inspiration of the Spirit, he can prophesy into the future 
and he knows what is coming. So now, Jesus, he's the right person. But that's the, that's the second thing. Let me give you a third thing. Jesus has the right strategy. He's got the right strategy. Now watch this in verse four of Galatians chapter four. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Read the last line with me. Born under the law. Born under the law. Okay. <clears throat> so Jesus comes and remember, Paul's argument is, I, you, you can't keep the works of the law. Jesus comes, and he's born into the system that you and I live in. He's born under the law. Can we obey all the laws? Can we keep them? The answer is no. Like I said earlier, you broke it this morning. You broke the law. So did I. Yeah, how many have sinned at least 40,000 times in their lifetime right here? Come on, everybody raise your hand, please. Okay. Okay, we've all, we've broken the laws, broken the laws, broken. So we can't keep them. So Jesus has to come. He's got to be born in the system like Neo in the Matrix. Okay, you got to be born in the system. And so he's in the system. And Jesus, he cannot sin. He cannot violate one law. If he's going to save humanity, he can't break one law. And so guess what? Satan is out to get this guy, is he not? And so now you find, the. and by the way, when Adam sinned, it says he handed over the entire world to Satan, 1 John 5, 19. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. As a Christian, that means, have you ever felt like you don't belong here anymore? I don't fit on this planet anymore. You ever, raise your hand. I want to know if you feel, because you don't. Peter said you're a stranger and you're an alien in this world now. Because you follow a different DNA and a different pattern, God's pattern. You and me are like E.T. You want to phone home, okay? <laughs> you want to go home. Because you know you don't fit. It's just something's not right here. Because it's been handed over. Now, Adam loses the battle on Adam's home turf, the Garden of Eden. So Jesus has to come, and he's born in the system, the laws. He can't break a law. But now he's got to come and fight on Satan's home turf, which is this earth. Because Adam gave up the turf, and now Satan has the power. So here comes Jesus into the system to fight Satan on the home turf, and he can't sin. So here comes the temptations. And he goes up to Jesus in that desert. And he says, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. If you are. Now, by the way, sidebar, that's always a question of your identity, which affects your security, which affects you as a person. Because he's questioning the identity of Jesus. If you are the Son of God, like he tells you and me, if you are a Christian, tells us that, doesn't he? Jesus, remember, back up five verses in Matthew at the end of it, Jesus just had his baptism. And the heavens open, and the Father says, This is my beloved Son. So now flash forward five verses. Satan says, if you are the son of God, Jesus sits there and says, well, my dad just told me I am. And see, if you start to understand that, accept that, know that, believe that, all your insecurities, all your wondering who you are, all, your, all those, you'll start to little by little gain security, gain boldness, understand who you are. You won't be emotionally pushed around. You will not be emotionally or relationally taken advantage of because you'll know who you are in Christ amen to that one I just gave you a free one right there man that's a good one now so he's born under the law so he tempts Jesus come on come on come on turn these stones to bread Jesus says man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God notice what he says 
man shall not live by bread alone. He didn't say, the God-man shall not live by bread alone. No, he said man. Because Jesus came as a man, as a human. Because he has to go through, feel, experience the very same things that you and I experience in temptations. Am I right? Otherwise, you and I, like we sometimes say, Jesus, do you even know what I'm going through? That's a slap in his face. Of course he does. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. That's why it says he can identify with our weaknesses. He knows what we go through. Have you ever been crucified? No. He's gone through so much and he knows what you and I go through. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. He fought him as a man. Comes into the system and he, can't, he cannot sin one time because if he breaks the law and that speed limit, he knows all is lost for all of us. So he has to be born in the matrix. He has to come into this thing and he cannot break one law. One law. So he's got the right strategy. And then he goes to the fourth thing and that is he brought the right result. The right result. Now, watch this. Verse 5 through 7. So that he might redeem those who are under the law. That we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Listen. Christian, Bible student, please listen. These are all identity statements. And maybe somebody told you you're stupid as a kid growing up. And maybe you felt insecure because a parent left home and tell them I said hi, okay. A parent left and you were insecure because everybody else had two parents but you didn't. Maybe you made bad decisions that you really rocked your mental condition. Let me give you your identity as a Christian who you really are not who the world said you are not who false identity people said you are but who God says you are first he says that you're redeemed if you put your faith in Christ you're redeemed what does that mean it means that you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus and his life from the slave market of sin and you've been set free forever you've been set free forever from sin Understand it. Know it. You're not bound there anymore. But then it says you're adopted. Do you know in the Roman Empire, they did not adopt babies because babies died. They adopted grown-ups. And you've been adopted into the family of God. But it gets better because you cry, Abba, Father. Abba is a real enduring term like Daddy. How many of you growing up called your dad Daddy? I did. I called him Daddy. That's why my grandkids call me Granddaddy but it's Abba, Father. So you have a father. You're part of this family. I got a daddy. Oh my gosh. So I'm purchased from the slave market of sin. I'm adopted in the family. I got a daddy. Woo! And he says, you got the spirit of God in your heart. So I have a DNA transfer of God. So I have this DNA in me. I don't have to live like the peer pressure of the world. Young person, teenager, you don't have to bend to the peer pressure. You have a greater power in you and a greater DNA. Don't be afraid to stand up for it. And watch what God does in defending you when you stand up for it. And you respect yourself. And don't give in to other people. Amen to that one. Your parents can tithe later on that. Now. Okay. I can't do my big ending. I couldn't do it in first service because it's just too late. Some of you are going, your stomachs are rumbling. I can hear it. 
but let's go back to heirs we are heirs he said uh, we have inheritance what's my favorite story in the Bible thank you thank you God bless you God bless you for those of you who are new to church new to the Bible you've heard the word prodigal it comes from the Bible it's a story in the Bible Luke chapter 15 let me just fill you in on this, some of the details there's a young man he tells his father he's not even the oldest so he really shouldn't be asking this but he says dad give me my inheritance because I want to go so dad gives him his inheritance and by asking his father for the inheritance he's really saying to his father father you're dead to me because you don't get the inheritance till dad dies so that's the first thing you see and the father's a picture of God in heaven he leaves and he goes far away and you know when you want to sin you go far away so nobody knows you and he goes out there starts living it up man he's partying he's got the coolest threads now because he's got money bling bling big P for prodigal hanging around his neck he, he's the cool guy he's buying all the drinks and then the money runs out and when the money runs out so do the friends has anyone ever experienced that and now he's broke and nobody will help him and hunger hunger is always a good driver to get your life right don't forget that and so he attaches himself to a man of that country this is not Israel anymore and the man puts him out there to feed pigs he's a Jewish boy he shouldn't be touching pigs he's so hungry he looks at the the pods that he's feeding the pigs and he thinks I'll, I'll, I'll eat that he's so hungry so he's doing this and one day he's lying there and he starts to think to himself you know my dad he really isn't such a bad guy isn't it great when a teenager wakes up or a 20 something wakes up and you find out that mom and dad aren't the devil try having kids okay go ahead go ahead let's see how easy it is huh yeah yeah so he goes I had it better at home I had it good at my dad's house he gets up he's going to walk home he starts walking now he is as filthy as it gets and he's as stinky as it gets because he's been hanging out with pigs and so he starts walking home and who knows how far he's got to go but he starts to rehearse that prayer you know that prayer it goes like this because this is what he's going to tell his dad because he thinks I just can't show up I mean I, I slapped my dad in the face I told him you're dead to me I took the money I said I'm out of here so I've got to, I got to repent so here's what his prayer rehearsal is he's walking I'm going Father I've sinned against heaven on your side I'm no longer worthy to be called your son make me as one of your hired servants Father I've sinned against heaven in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son make me as one of your hired servants here's what he's saying he's saying I repent of my sin but I know I can never be a son again now I'll date myself all I can ever be is candy on the Ponderosa bunkhouse that's all I can ever be nobody knows what that is huh well then help me out here okay the rest of you don't know that's Bonanza the old TV show from the 60s yeah 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 that's all I can ever be I can't be a son anymore I blew that one and he's walking home father I've sinned against heaven in your sight I'm no longer going to be called your son make me as one of your hired servants his dad sees him he finally gets close to the house dad sees him because you know you know your kid right you know how your kid walks right am I right 
No, your kid don't walk that way. <laughs> but he's walking. He says, that's my boy. I can tell by his gait, the way he walks. And he runs out to his boy. It's a picture of God the Father. He runs out to his boy. The boy that slapped him in the face and said, you're dead to me. Give me the money. I'm out of here. And dad runs and grabs that stinky, filthy kid, hugs him, like, you know, like that. And it says he kissed him. But the Greek says he kissed him repeatedly. Dad's kissing him and kissing him and kissing him. My boy, and he says, my boy was dead. He's alive again. See, you're not a sinner and I'm not a sinner. We were dead to God, guys. We were dead to God until we came to Christ. And now we're alive to God. Now, okay, wait, wait, I'm not done. I'm not done. Okay, stop, stop, stop. That was bad, you bad, okay? No, I'm just joking. But, and so he's kissed him and then he said, where are you, dad? Dad, I, I got something to tell you, dad. He says, father, I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven, meaning God. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's about to say, make me into a hired servant. Just make me into an employee. I know I can work here. I can never be your son. I can never gain your favor again. But let me just get a job with you. He never gets to say that. The father stops him. And the father says, quickly! Guys, go get the robe. My robe, best robe, highest robe. Go put it on him. Quickly, you guys. Go get the shoes. My boy is barefoot. My boy shouldn't be. Put the shoes back on him. How beautiful on the feet on the mountain are those who bring good news. Quickly, you guys. Go get my signet ring, the ring of authority. Put it on my boy. That means I'm, he's back in the business, the family business. He's got full authority as my son, as an heir. He goes, quickly, go get the fattened calf, slay it, we're going to have a big party. The only person not happy to see the prodigal come home is the fattened calf. <laughs> Just being honest, okay? The fattened calf goes, oh, he came back, great. <laughs> they slay the fattened calf, they have this, the innocent sacrifice, big party. That's a picture of Jesus Christ, crucifixion, the innocent sacrifice. And now they're celebrating. Now here's the question. Did that prodigal put the robe on himself? Did the prodigal put the shoes on himself? Did the prodigal put the ring on himself? Did the prodigal slay the fattened calf? It was all done for him. That's called grace. And it says of Jesus in John 1 that he's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace see the prodigal couldn't work his way and back to relationship with his father it's impossible it had to be the grace from the father you can't work for it son you've blown it too much but we're not going to talk about that anymore it's going to be under the blood and let me just pour my grace upon you because you've repented you've said I've sinned against heaven in your sight and once you repent before God and come to Jesus, here comes grace. Here comes the grace of God. You're saved by grace only, through faith only, in Christ only. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. And once you get that, once you understand it, you will never be the same again. You will never doubt your salvation. You'll never believe Satan when he whispers in your head, you're not really a Christian, look what you just did. 
You won't buy that anymore. You're going to believe like Jesus when, when Satan said, if you are the son of God, you're going to go, well, my father just told me I'm his son and his daughter. So you can't talk me out of this one. I'm a Christian. Not based on what I do, but based on what he's done. He put the robe and the ring and the shoes on me. I had nothing to do with it. I just put my faith in him. That's Christianity, guys. And that's what sets it apart from every other religion in the world that says you got to work for it and you got to do good deeds to earn it. You can't. Nobody can. It takes a Savior coming down to earth, born at the right time, right person, in the right strategy, within the system, with the right result. And He offers it to you and to me. I made my peace with God in 1979. Some of you haven't. Some of you have it. You've never placed your faith in Jesus. You've never given him your life. Or some of you backslid. You once walked with God, boy, you were on fire. People remember it. But you've lost that fire and you walked away and you're out there like the prodigal doing your whole thing. And Jesus, come on back. Come on, let's get it right now. Let's get it right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity to get it right. Would you close your eyes, please? No moving around at all. As you sit here today and you understand now the grace through faith in Christ alone, salvation, Jesus wants to invade your life. He wants to be your Lord and Savior. He wants to give you His DNA. God the Father wants to make you his child. He wants to adopt you and set you free. He wants to set your name in heaven so that when you die, you know that you know that you know that you know that that's where you're going. You're going to be with God the Father. If you've never put your faith in Christ before and now it makes sense that this is the right way, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Or if you backslid, and you know, I better get back to Christ. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. So if you'd like to place your faith in Christ or rededicate your life, I want you to do one thing as a sign between you, me, and God. Right now, open up your eyes and look up at me. I'm going to look back at you. And when our eyes meet, you can close them. You do it right now. Now those who looked up at me, I'm going to say a prayer. I want you to repeat that prayer. And I want you to put faith in Jesus as the only God, Savior, Messiah. That's it. He's the only one. You're going to ask Him to forgive you of your sins because that's what He came. Came and died on that cross and shed His blood to forgive you of sins because you couldn't do enough good works to even erase one sin. And sin separates us from God the Father. He's going to forgive you of all your sins. He's going to come and dwell in you through the Holy Spirit. So here we go. I want you to repeat after me, those who looked up at me. I want everyone to repeat it with those who are going to repeat in this room. Everybody say it with them. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would come into this system to save me going to a cross, carrying my sins 
shedding your blood to forgive me. Forgive me of all my sins and I know I'm forgiven. Today I give you my life. I choose to follow you for the rest of my days. Thank you for saving me. Now let me pray. God, I pray for everyone who looked up at me. I pray you get a good start in this whole thing now because you have just been transferred from the domain of darkness, the satanic strongholds of this world, into the kingdom of God's light. You're a new person now. It's called born again. You're a new creature in Christ. The old things have passed away. And now begin to walk in new things because the power dwells in you. Get into church. Get a Bible. You don't have one? We have them free here in the lobby or to my left your right after service with the prayer partners. They'll show you where to start. But all of heaven rejoices because you chose to repent and give your life to Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen and amen. Would you stand up with me, everybody? Praise the Lord. A couple things. Remember men's horseshoes tonight, 6 o'clock, Pikes Peak Park. I'll be there. Also, start signing up for the next men's breakfast. It's in two weeks. It's a burrito breakfast, so it's coming. Um, we need to get head counts for food all the time. Let's see. I think, uh, I think, I think. If you looked up at me today at the end, please do yourself a good favor and get a good start. Go talk to somebody over to my left or right. They'll just pray with you for a couple minutes, and they'll send you on your way. They're not going to hold you. Um, so just please do that for yourself if you have any prayer needs at all just go over here and ask them for prayer they'll do that for you physical offering you know the place drop it in the two boxes on the doorway out there and uh, uh, before we, re we, re we say what our deal here after we're done I just need help this middle section we've got to stack all the chairs in fives if you would and also when you stack them they've got to be metal on metal if you don't get them they just ruin the cushion so just for that and then I need uh, 50 of those chairs to be taken to the lobby. And then I need six round tables taken out of that room. The, and then I think we're going to get help from the ushers to show us the way uh, to be brought in the center section. So stack them sideways, take 30, 50 out there, bring out six round tables. So here we go. Repeat after me. Lord, keep me outward focused and fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. God bless you guys. We'll see you. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.